We want to make sure the world is a better place when we leave here for our kids and grandkids compared to leaving them something that's not conducive to their health. So we really wanna try to take advantage of technology, which continues to evolve, making sure that transit is taking advantage of technology. What I like to call cleaner air, greener grass, things of that nature. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged In-Depth this week with Monica Backman, CEO of the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority. A great in-depth look at an organization that's unique in the United States and that it takes $300 million of state and local funding and spreads it across multiple jurisdictions in Northern Virginia, helping them primarily in their capital needs. So they might be one year building a brand new metro station. Another time they're funding a new bus rapid transit project in Fairfax County and more. Hear all about it from the CEO, Monica Backman, on today's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth. Monica, thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. Good to have somebody who's uh, close to me. You're only about an hour away as the crow flies, as they say, from me. So uh, great to have you on today. And um, tell us a little bit about your agency, the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority. Thank you. Thank you for the question, Paul, because oftentimes people hear MVTA and they're like, what is it? Well, MVTA, the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority, was created by the Virginia General Assembly in 2002. And our primary functions is to do long range regional planning and to do the programming. Now, I say those are the primary functions because the law prescribes a lot of things for us to undertake. But everything starts with the long range plan. And I do want to note that Senator Mark Warner, who was Governor Mark Warner at the time, he was the governor that signed the bill creating the MBTA into law. So that's primarily what we do. We do long range transportation planning, and now we have the funding to implement to do the programming of the plan. So how do you interact, let's say, for instance, with WMATA, Washington Metro, where our friend Randy just took over as CEO? Absolutely. So that's a great question. At MBTA, and it's funny, we have about 10 or so bills that govern and legislate what we do, but we provide funding for regionally significant capital projects. We cannot fund operations. We cannot fund maintenance. So to date, we funded about $228 million for metro rail stations. So that is significant when you see Potomac Yards, a second entrance at Crystal City, innovation stations, all of those types of new stations or second entrances, the MBTA, we have a part in that. And what other transit agencies do you assist? PRTC, the Potomac and Rappahannock Transportation Commission. Dr. We funded Bob. Bus, I know. Give a <laughs> shout out to Bob Snyder. Yeah. We fund what I would like to call Western or maintenance facilities. We have it for Fairfax Connector. We fund buses for Dash. We fund buses for Art. Again, anywhere you see transit capital in Northern Virginia, we have a hand in it. So we work with those agencies. And I would like to know of note, which is recent as a few weeks ago, we funded some electric buses for Fairfax County Connector. In addition, we had already funded some for Art and Dash, or excuse me, not Art, but Dash. Okay. So basically all those cities in Northern Virginia that have transit systems that we've heard about, you're involved in the capital side primarily. 
Absolutely. The law prohibits us for funding operations and maintenance. I know that makes some people feel some kind of way, but I think the thought was if we put too much into operations and maintenance, we really couldn't get the capital needs done. And one of the reasons why we were created was to help with the backlog of transportation projects that we have right here in Northern Virginia. Yeah. Northern Virginia has been one of the fastest growing areas in the country over the last decade or two, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have Loudoun County, which is one of the fastest growing counties in not only in Northern Virginia, but the country, one of the richest counties in the country. And when you look at the population growth, the employment growth in Northern Virginia, especially compared to other parts of the country, we are really outpacing. And even if you look at some of the economic declines when we were in some of our downturns as a country, this region kind of came out of it a lot quicker than other parts of the country. Yeah. Loudoun County. Well, I remember that when I used to work for Yellow Transportation uh, for Mark Joseph, I managed the Loudoun County commuter bus service. Wow. And we had those motor coaches coming out into Washington, D.C. and the Rosalind Station, I remember, uh, on a daily basis. And um, I was actually doing that and um, the Georgetown shuttle uh, on 9-11 when it hit. Oh, and I remember wow. we were in Baltimore at a staff meeting and the commuter buses and the I remember the circulator buses in particular, the drivers calling in saying there was ashes falling down on their vehicles oh, from the uh, from the Pentagon. And it was, of course, locked down. It was uh, but I, other than, you know, that was an awfully obviously an awful time, a terrible time. But it was a great time. Loudoun County and that northern Virginia area just is phenomenal for the economic uh, vitality. It's one of the top, I think, areas economically in the country, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And, you know, today we funded about 122 projects totaling $3.12 billion. What we do with each funding program, because we do a funding program biannually, we just adopted one in July. As part of that, we do an economic impact analysis. We contract with an economic firm, to do the analysis. We don't do it in-house to make ourselves look good, but we are in the congestion reduction business. But we want to note that these transportation investments has a positive direct impact, not only on Northern Virginia, but the Commonwealth at large. The most recent economic impact analysis, I guess it was 2020, showed that we have, through these investments, 90,000 jobs that will stay right here in the Commonwealth. So I think you look at that and look at what transportation means, not only for mobility, but what it means for the economy. There is a direct correlation. Yeah, absolutely. So how is it? How is what you do different than what an MPO does, a metropolitan planning organization? That is a great question. Thank you for that. Because when I try to explain to people what MBTA is, the easiest explanation where they really get it, I'm like, oh, we really function as a sub-regional MPO, metropolitan planning organization. Now, of course, to be an MPO, you have to have a, a be federally designated. We, in turn, are created by the Virginia General Assembly, but a lot of the functions are very complementary to what an MPO does, but we just do it on a smaller scale. For us, it's only in Northern Virginia, and I will note that we can only fund projects in Northern Virginia. That's another question I get asked a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, because the taxes and fees are raised right here in Northern Virginia, they have to directly benefit Northern Virginians. A few years ago, when we were newer in our funding stream, I did actually present to our MPO, the Transportation Planning Board, regarding MBTA and what we do. There was a lot of interest, particularly at that time on the Maryland side, 
um, really asking how was Virginia able to get bipartisan bill like that passed? Interesting. Yeah. So do you interact how or how do you interact with WashCog, uh, the Washington Council of Governments, which they don't they serve as an MPO? Well, you so it, it's it's funny how the TPB is layered. WashCog yeah. is like the umbrella organization and then right. the Transportation Planning Board is the MPO. We have direct interaction with them because of some of the federal rules and federal requirements. One being that any regionally significant project must undergo the air quality conformity determination. And the feds do not care who is paying for the project. You could finance a project out of your own bankroll, personal bankroll, if you have money like that. So we, our projects, because they are regionally significant, they are sent through VDOT to the Transportation Planning Board to undergo the air quality conformity analysis. So we have that relationship. Their transportation director at Conti Shrikan is a former VDOT employee. So I knew him back when he worked with VDOT. So we always try to make sure that we're in step. The other thing I want to note is the TPB and WASHCOG has these equity emphasis areas. We actually took those equity emphasis areas and we use them as part of updating our long range transportation plan and our most recent funding program. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me about how you all are implementing that or or what. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, thank you. So our core values, like at this particular time, I mentioned our primary responsibilities is to update the region's long-range transportation plan. We're actually in the public comment period for that now. We update that plan every five years. So as part of that, the core values that we have is equity, safety, and sustainability. And I have to go back to equity because in Northern Virginia, the needs are diverse. You know, the economy is diverse. The the geography of the area is diverse. And one thing we want to make sure is that everyone in this region has the same access to all modes. So when we looked at the work that the TPB had done on the equity emphasis areas, you know, far be it from me to want to reinvent the wheel, we were like, this is great work. And we need to overlay this these equity emphasis areas to make sure that when we're doing our planning, that we have access to those who are transit optional in addition to the transit dependent. Because sometimes we see a lot of gaps when it comes to that. The TPB, they did a regional household travel demand survey that showed if you're low income, severely low income, you're three times as likely to take the car to drive. And that's because you live further out where housing affordability is better. Now that's a whole different conversation, but for us, we want to make sure that everyone, regardless of where you live, have the same opportunities for access to our transit network and our transportation system at large. That's great. Yeah. David Kim was telling me about, former Secretary Kim was telling me about how they did this basically equity analysis at a statewide level in California too. Now, Monica, tell me about how you all get your funding. You mentioned earlier, you're just from Virginia. So can you kind of break that down for us and explain it to us? So, and we have, our funding comes from a bill that was passed by the Virginia General Assembly in 2013 called HB 2313. This wasn't our first time we had funding. We actually had funding in 2007 But that bill failed when we filed a bond validation suit. So, and and I can talk about that at a later time, but getting back to 2013, the General Assembly passed HB 2313. It provided us three revenue sources, sales tax, transient occupancy tax. So when you stayed at a hotel, you had to pay a tax 
and then grantor's tax born on the seller of the home. That's also known as recordation tax. So we had those three fees. At the time, the General Assembly calculated that that would net about 300 million a year. We were doing a lot more than 300 million. And then in 2018, everyone knew WMATA had state of good repair needs. Big time. So, and, and we again, we were netting about 350 million a year. Now, for us, the transportation funding bill says 70% comes to the authority, 30% goes back to the localities. In Northern Virginia, we have nine localities, five cities, four counties. In 2018, what the WMATA state of good repair needs had to be addressed, and they really did have to be addressed. Some of our revenues were diverted to WMATA. And when I say some, it was over $100 million. Now, we all knew what that WMATA needed that money to address the state of good repair. Mm -hmm. But we are in the process. We're still trying to get all of that money back. And right now, the balance is $38.5 million that we're trying to get back. Okay. I think I remember when that happened, Maryland, my governor, Larry Hogan, had put up a couple, I forget how many, hundreds of millions of dollars. DC was matching that. Yes. Yeah. That was after the yellow line and all that kind of stuff that happened. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes, it was. Very interesting. Vir yeah. Virginia's share of the, of the 500 million, because it was a total of 500 million annually right. for WMATA, Virginia's share was 154 million. Okay. And is there a board or who, who makes those decisions for you all? Oh, so it was interesting. So we didn't make the decision to divert the revenue. <laughs> that that okay. was something the Virginia General Assembly did. I got uh, you. But I do have a 17-member board. 17 it, members. I God know. Bless Every you. time I say 17, <laughs> <laughs> people are like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, a lot um, and out of, yeah it, it's a lot. Out of 17, 13 are elected officials. The law tells me who my members are. So they're the highest ranking elected officials in Northern Virginia. So they are either the chairman or the mayors or his oh, or wow. her designee. Okay. Out of that, I do have a town, the mayor of one of the largest towns. The law says the towns with populations of 3,500 or more, they rotate in Northern Virginia. We have five. Then I have one member of the Senate, two members of the House of Delegates or the speaker's appointee. Mm -hmm. And then I have two gubernatorial appointees. So it is it is a interesting mix. But I will note we do make decisions via consensus. Now, getting there can be a little challenging at times, <laughs> but they do strive to make decisions via consensus. That's wonderful. And from my experience, I actually have found that I think it's better to have the elected officials on the board if you can, because they're the real decision makers. And Absolutely. so if you can, you know, you, you have direct access to them on your board, you can explain to them, they get fully educated. I think that's wonderful, actually. And then you have real consensus among all the jurisdictions that are helping to fund this. And that's what you need doing something like this. Absolutely. And that's what I love about the way the law is written, because oftentimes when you have uh, regional entities, the local governing bodies get to make the appointments. But the law says my members are the mayors or the chairs and they have constituents. They need to be able to make these decisions, go out and explain it. You know, right. and I do my best to make sure that they're well versed, well educated. They have the technical data that they need. And some of the, you know, the layman's data, if you will, yeah. the political, the public comments and things like that. That's great. Well, let's uh, let's switch over now to uh, now that we've got the background and the context, <laughs> which I wanted to get to because I find it's it's unique. I mean, are you aware of other agencies like yours around the country? 
That is a great question. I think this was last year, the authority did a survey and, and we contracted with the company and one of their tasks was trying to find another or a comparable entity to the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority. They came close, but they told us we cannot find a direct one-on-one that's comparable to what you are. And I will note, they actually put us in more in the lines of MPO category. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But yeah. Just on capital. So, so tell us about some of the current projects that you're doing that you're excited about that you're helping to fund. Thank you. So one of the huge projects and the projects that has received the highest award ever from the NVTA is the Richmond Highway Bus Rapid Transit System. Um, it's in Fairfax County. When it comes to fruition, when it's complete, it will be the largest bus rapid transit system in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We have approximately $330 million on the BRT component alone. That doesn't include the money that we have on the highway widening because the BRT is going to be a dedicated system in the median. So it's going to be fixed guideway. So that's one that I'm really excited about. Of course, I'm excited about all of the metro stations because we have money on Potomac Yards, which is a part of National Landing. And when I I mentioned National Landing, I think we have a total of about $274 million on projects in National Landing. But that makes me excited. Even some of these new bus purchases, because new bus purchases means expanded routes or new routes, the maintenance facilities, all of this really ties into having a seamless network. And we do fund trails. That's something that people say, oh, you know, oh, you you just fund these big projects. I think people have different definitions of what regionally significant and congestion reduction means, but every project undergoes the same analysis. So we fund WOND Trail and Arlington and Falls Church. But I will say to date, the Richmond Highway Bus Rapid Transit because of the scope and scale of that project, that's one that really, really excites me. But they all give me some some enjoyment because I don't want anyone to hear this say, oh, you, you like Fairfax yeah. County's projects over ours. But that's a great project. Yeah. The area you you serve, I mean, do you know what the population is? It's It's got to be millions and millions of people. It is because we serve the entire planning district The law says we covered that entire planning district, which is another reason why I have 17 members because everyone has to have a voice. It's a large service area. Yeah. So how would, if I'm a city councilman in a small town, you know, in, in Fairfax County or Loudoun County, do we apply or how does that work? What's the process to, to get in front of you? Oh, I love that question. So Thank you. So as I noted earlier, if you're a town with a population of 3,500 or more, you can apply directly to the authority. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're a town that has a population less than that, that we cannot fund. We funded a project, and I think it's in the smallest town in Virginia. It was in the town of Hillsborough. I was told at that time the population was 100 and maybe 23. And I was telling one of my board members, I was like, yeah, their population is 123. He said, oh, they've grown. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) but Loudoun County, because the town is under that population threshold, Loudoun County was the applicant. But that town was awarded funds for their Route Route 9 traffic calming project. So I don't want people to think, oh, we're too small, because it's not about the size 
of the area. It's really about the magnitude of the project and what it means for congestion reduction, reducing hours of travel, emissions reductions, all of those things that we take into consideration. I was going to ask you that. And in your scoring and ranking of projects that are submitted to you, you've just mentioned three things. Do you want to kind of talk about what the priorities are? Thank you. So it's funny when I mentioned earlier that we have about 10 different laws that we have to acknowledge. The law regarding when I talk about the funding bill, HB 2313, it says that we have to give priority to the projects that have the greatest level of congestion reduction relative to cost. But then our enabling legislation mentions some performance measures we should use. So for this round, we have 10 performance measures. We cut it down from previous cycles because once you have too many, they start to cancel each other out. But we look at total person hours of delay. Uh, total person hours of delay on transit, duration of severe congestion, transit person miles that are dedicated, access to jobs by car, transit, and bike, access to jobs by car, transit, and bike for equity emphasis area populations, and then quality of access to transit for the bike or walking network. And then we look at safety, vehicle emissions, and transportation system redundancy. That's important because the law also talks about making sure we look at emergency management evacuation in the event or in the unfortunate event there is another catastrophe like 9-11. Right. So it sounds like the emphasis that I hear with those 10 criteria are just what you said. It's congestion relief and then economic development. I remember uh, for five years, I worked uh, for MV Transportation in DC as uh, kind of the daily operations manager for the paratransit system, Metro Access with Christian Mm -hmm. Kent was over us uh, at WMATA. And I remember reading studies at the time how that Washington DC had the second most congestion in the nation behind LA. And so it sounds like that's a lot of what the emphasis is. It is, it is. And you know, it's interesting because while we don't look, have a criteria for economic impact, we learned early on, we can't ignore the economic impacts of these investments. I'll give you an example. We were doing a funding program in 2020. Our last authority meeting was March, 2020. And then the week later we shut down due to COVID. But at that time we were doing a funding program. And I talked to my chair, who's Phyllis Randall, who's the chair of the Loudoun County Board. And I said, hey, do do we stop? Do we keep going? What do do you wanna do? We were pretty solid in our revenue projections. And when I say we were solid, we probably undercount because sales tax from online sales just really was much more than we had anticipated. But she said, no, we have to keep going to try to do our part to keep the economy going. So when when I say, even though we don't look at economic impact as a criteria, we know that there is a direct correlation. Very good. The next thing I want to ask you about is about technology. When this when this airs, the Wednesday this airs in a week, I'll be actually at the Apta Tech Conference speaking uh, on technology and what's happening going forward. Tell us some about the role of your agency in funding new technology. Well, thank you. So I, I just noted that we recently in July of last month funded some electric buses for Fairfax Connector, but we have an entire transportation technology strategic plan. So I formed a transportation technology committee 
uh, back in, I guess it was the end of 2019. And from that committee, a transportation technology strategic plan was born that the authority adopted in May of 2021. And we have nine strategies that we're trying to implement, reduce congestion and increase throughput, uh, maximize jobs, employees, and housing, enhance operation of the multimodal transportation network, maximize potential of physical and communication infrastructure to serve existing and emerging nodes. And we have other things that we try to hit, but it's all based on how do we hit these targets through technology. So in this, when I said we were doing our long range transportation plan update, which we do every five years, this will be the first long range transportation up plan update that has a whole technology section. So we want to incentivize people to do things using technology that helps achieve our goals of equity, sustain or core values, equity, sustainability, and safety. And the other thing I will note, we have a partnership with the Commonwealth of Virginia. We call it the Regional Multimodal Mobility Program, RM3P for short. Through this partnership, and it's us, it's the authority, it's VDOT, it's the Department of Rail and Public Transportation, we're looking at enhanced commuter parking data, mobility as a service, artificial intelligence-based decision-making and support system, and we want to have a data-driven tool. I don't know if that will be an app or something like that to really incentivize people to delay their commuting, to get off the roads, to use another mode. So we're really trying to, to play up technology, the importance of technology, particularly as we look at climate change. Interesting. And you mentioned a lot of the, the, your plan you're coming out with. You, you started as a planner, right? I mean, it looks I like did. you had a long career in Prince William. Tell us a little about your background, Monica, and how you ended up there as executive director and, and of that organization. Well, thank you. So when I moved to this area, I worked with Prince William County. I worked with Prince William County for about 10 years. During that time, of course, the MVTA was created by the Virginia General Assembly in 2002. The bond referendum that was moving forward in 2002, while the creation of the authority passed, the bond referendum to fund us failed. Mm. So then we floated along. We always had to do the long range transportation plan. And then in 2007, we had funding. And then that went away. But it was funny because we had to do the long range transportation plan. And we also make recommendations on two federal funds, CMAC and RSTP. We, the authority had a staff group, which had staff of all the localities and agencies. And I chaired that group. But my job was with Prince William County. So we, I chaired that group to make sure that some of the statutory requirements that the authority had to meet, regardless of whether we had funding, had to make sure that got done. So that was my, my job. So then in 2013, it was interesting, we were hearing rumors, hey, the General Assembly, we think they're gonna have a transportation funding bill. And I was asked, how much do you need? And at that time in 2012, we had just completed the long range transportation plan update at that time. And I said, oh, that plan says we need $27.5 billion <laughs> over the next 25 years. But we knew from 2007, the General Assembly had an appetite for at least $300 million because that was the amount that was approved with the HB 3202. So we okay. said, hey, if they could do 300 million, we could, we could work with that. 
Then when the bill passed, which we were surprised, we, we were surprised the bill passed. We filed a bond validation suit, which essentially means you sue yourself. And, and that kind of wards off any future lawsuits. But we sued ourselves. We won in the circuit court and, <laughs> and we won in the, in, in the appeal. So now the authority needed to staff up. And the chair of the authority at that time, he was a Prince William supervisor. He said, hey, Monica, you're going to apply for that job, right? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I will. And I'm like, let me start working on my resume. It was not on my radar to apply for the job until the chair of the authority mentioned it. He said, hey, you, you've been doing this work. You should apply. That's wonderful. So yeah. what happened? So I applied and here I am. I guess it's been about eight years later and, and it's been an exciting journey. I mean, we have a credit rating, a double A plus credit rating from all three credit rating agencies. Every day is a new day because when you're, we're really a startup, you know, this is the first time we've had this dedicated revenues. So we are a startup having to put policies and procedures in place. So it has been an exciting ride and it continues to be an exciting ride because you look at the changes, you look at what's going on in transportation here in Virginia, nationwide, trying to make sure we're getting people out of their cars, their SOVs. What can we do to incentivize transit and other options instead of the single occupied vehicle? Well, that, that is my last question, too. What are your plans for the future? Oh, good. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the future, I would really like to emphasize technology, making sure we do what we can on the technology front to get people out of SOVs or transit. Those are two of my priorities. We see what's going on with climate change, not only on the local level, the state level, but we see nationally what's going on, what the president and Congress are trying to do regarding climate change. We want to make sure the world is a better place when we leave here for our kids and grandkids compared to leaving them something that's not conducive to their health. So we really want to try to take advantage of technology, which continues to evolve, making sure that transit is taking advantage of technology and really uh, trying to have clean air, getting getting to, to this, wh what I like to call cleaner air, greener grass, things of that nature. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's, the environmental stewardship is so important, and it's a very important role for public transportation in general, and reducing congestion is a big part of that, right? It's a huge part of that. And it doesn't mean, and the thing I, I have to say, because in Northern Virginia, we always say there's no single a mode that's going to solve our congestion woes. There's no one size fit all solution. It doesn't mean no roads, but it means the better use of roads because outside of rail transit, bus transit and other options, walking and bicycling and things like that, sometimes they, or most times they are integrated into the road network. But how do we incentivize being smart about it, being smart about our investments instead of incentivizing more SOV? use. Very good. Well, Monica Backman, thank you so much for being with us, CEO of the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority, explaining to us how your organization works and how it supports public transportation in and around our nation's capital. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trends and Unplugged In-Depth with our guest, Monica Backman, CEO of the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority. Next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we'll have a special interview focusing on safety and security 
with Denver RTD. Don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com to sign up for our newsletter so you're always in the loop with whatever is going on with the podcast or Transit Unplugged TV. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.